May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Two Sundays ago, as Shauna Budik led us in the prayers of the people, I was really struck to hear her cite a line from a poem by W.H. Auden. We would rather be ruined than changed. It's from Auden's 1947 book-length poem, The Age of Anxiety, in which he uses four characters in a wartime New York City bar to give voice to questions of meaning and identity in a world in crisis. We would rather be ruined than changed, Auden has one of his characters say. Isn't there some real level of truth in that, whether individually or as, as a society, it is so easy, so tempting to not change, to stay the familiar course, even if that familiar course is slowly ruining us. Ask the recovering alcoholic how easy it was to just keep on drinking, justifying it through all kinds of denial and pretense. Stop and ask yourself about the things that we, as individuals or as a society, continue to tolerate or enact or embrace, knowing at some level that these things are not sustainable, not life-giving, not truth-telling. Then last week, as I was reading Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, Preparing for one of our St. Ben's book breakfast groups, there it was again, that line from Auden, this time cited more fully. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. Rohr uses these words as an epigraph to a chapter called Stumbling Over the Stumbling Stone in which he writes, sooner or later, some event, person, death, idea, or relationship will enter your life that you simply cannot deal with, using your present skill set, your acquired knowledge, or your strong willpower. While Rohr says that he wishes it weren't necessarily so, spiritually speaking, you will be, you must be, led to the edge of your own private resources. In Rohr's view, we must actually be out of the driver's seat for a while, or we will never learn how to give up control to the real guide. It is the necessary pattern. As Mark tells the story, right after Jesus was baptized, right after he had heard the voice from the heavens naming him, My son, the beloved. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. It's one of Mark's favorite words, by the way, immediately. The pace of Mark's storytelling is always clipped and urgent. His content plain and spare. Notice, too, that where both Matthew and Luke say that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, Mark says that the Spirit drove him there. It's a strong word. It's an urgent word. The Spirit drove him there. And unlike Matthew and Luke, 
Mark then tells us very, very little of what took place in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. That's it. For Mark, that's apparently all his audience needed to know. Why do you suppose that Mark has this very particular sense, though, that Jesus was driven into that 40-day sojourn in the desert? Believe it has something to do with Mark's intuitive understanding that in order for Jesus to be and to do that which was his calling, he had first to be pressed to the very edge of his own private resources. As Rohr puts it, entirely out of the driver's seat for that time. It all culminates in the testing or the temptations voiced by Satan, but before that come long days of solitude, of fasting, in a landscape that for all of its austere beauty is harsh and unforgiving. What does it mean to be the beloved of God in such a place? Well, another poet, this one much closer to home, imagines those questions in this way. This is where I face you in my hunger and my thirst. I don't think any skin can protect me with this land so anxious to hurt. The poet closer to home is Mike Coop. It's his desert song, which he recorded for the album he did for St. Ben's and which we've often sung here in the season of Lent, probably will again. With this land so anxious to hurt, Mike sings, I don't think any skin can protect me. Powerfully conveys vulnerability, doesn't it? Out on the edge, away from all that's familiar, all that's secure, hungry and alone. So the song continues... Am I ready for the worst? Every trick from kiss to curse. I hear how well you've rehearsed this temptation, chapter and verse. Is it even possible in his weakened state for Jesus to stand up to a scripture quoting Satan? Because that, in, at least in Matthew and Luke's version, that's exactly what the adversary does. The adversary's intent on selling him on an illusion and bringing his work to ruin even before it begins. How in his weakened state can he stand up to that? But I am ready for your worst, Mike sings as the song moves into its next verse. Every trick from kiss to cursed. So leave me here with my thirst. It's the most striking line, leave me here with my thirst. Because it points to the fact that in his solitude and in his vulnerability, Jesus has been cleared of any illusion that he can do this all on his own. The Father loves him. The Spirit has driven him to where he needs to be. And it's within those two realities that he comes to learn firsthand of the power of vulnerability and of utter dependence, of the perfect weakness that will be his vocation. The perfect weakness is his vocation, through to its bitter and then beautiful end.
I want to be careful, though, in looking at this story of Jesus being driven into wilderness and sojourning there and learning in his dependence of the power of weakness. I want to be careful to keep from sounding as if I'm suggesting that every time that we hit our own places of feeling lost in the wilderness, that God has somehow engineered that in a deterministic or even fatalistic way, zap. It's not only a horror, for instance, to suggest that God would give cancer to a child in order to teach the parent something about being out of the driver's seat. That's not only a horrible picture, that verges on blasphemy. No, to suggest that the Spirit has driven you into a depression or driven you into ill health or addiction or despair, that simply is not on. But can the Spirit of God meet us in those deserts? Help us to learn and grow in those places? Absolutely. Does the Spirit of God sometimes push us hard against a wall when we're caught in our own illusions, choosing ruin over change? Absolutely. Again, Just ask the recovering addict about how grace was at work in their being allowed to hit rock bottom and hit it hard. We've entered the season of Lent now, and we will remain here for some time. It's the church's wilderness season in which we're pressed to look at our own fragility, our own wounds, our own vulnerabilities. For some... That can be facilitated by taking on some spiritual practice or discipline for the season. You've heard me talk before about why giving something up or adding something to routine can be so important. Others, though, will find that they don't need to do that. They're already living a kind of a wilderness, such that the themes of the season already sound and feel very much familiar. Either way, whether you're feeling strong enough to, you know, take on a Lenten discipline or you're feeling lost enough that you don't need to, either way, remember that there are any number of wilderness seasons and sojourns in the biblical tradition, the tradition of the Hebrew scriptures particularly. The freed Hebrew slaves spend 40 years in the Sinai Desert so that they can get the remnants and the illusions of Egypt cleared out of their system. David. David takes flight into the wilderness, hiding in caves, forced to survive by his wits. Elijah. Elijah flees to the mountains where he will finally hear, finally hear with clarity, the still, small voice. Even the shepherd of Psalm 23 He leads the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a way beyond those valleys, those deserts, those mountain places in their loneliness. There's always a way. But the journey is through them. Always through them. That's both good news. There are green pastures and cool waters on the other side. But it's also sobering news. Because God might take some time in getting you there, letting the wilderness do its important work. Mike's song. Do you know how Mike's song ends? 
moves from that sort of very meditative picture of Jesus in the wilderness to this almost rhapsodizing over hope in a Lenten song. Rain will fall and sun will shine. Desert blooms in its own time. And though we all return to dust, someone will come sweep us up. It's an audacious thing to sing. Probably one of the strongest statements of faith you could possibly make in a desert season. For though we all return to dust, someone will come sweep us up. Changed, hopefully, not ruined. May the Spirit of God lead you or find you or maybe even drive you to the place you most need to be this season. And may you have the grace and the courage to be changed and so saved from ruin. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Find a voice, I give my own. 